um, about Christ, about how he, again, this is just a collection of thoughts that you know, I have prepared for, but um, I was just thinking who was the person who kind of experienced this extreme spectrum of emotion, but not just on one day where he went to a wedding or he went to a funeral at the same time, but he experienced this every day. You see, as God, Jesus, while he was on earth, he had all the attributes of God, the perfect joy, the perfect peace, the perfect love, all of those things that are joined with happiness in something like the wedding celebration, right? But in Isaiah, he was also called the man of sorrows. He was a person, if you can actually think about this, when he was born, he knew exactly who he was. He knew why he'd come here, right? Think about this. You guys sleep at night, myself included, much better because you don't know how much evil there is in the world. You actually think about that for a second. You can actually put it out of your mind and the world is a reasonably good place inside your head because you don't know about all the atrocities that go on outside. Not everything. You know that, yes, there are bad things in the world, but you don't know everything. You don't know every sin that's committed every day. But Christ did. He lived with that knowledge in the back of his mind every single day. He knew of every death, of every murder, of every crime, of every atrocity against God that went on anywhere in the world at any given time as God. He knew that while he walked the earth. Every day, the Bible says that he was a man of sorrows and well acquainted with grief. He knew what it was like to have that incredible depth of sorrow that only a person who's been through something that difficult can. Um, and he carried that with him his whole life. But he also carried that love, that joy, that peace. And that's what came out to everybody that he interacted with, other than the Pharisees who he rebuked. But everybody else who he interacted with, he helped, he cheered, he guided, he strengthened, he brought back from the brink of destruction, wherever and whoever they seemed to be. Um, I was thinking about that wedding that he went to, which is the first miracle that he performed. Huh? The wedding at Cana, Cana. Um, and uh, he went, actually, I think I, I, think I have the reference. We want to actually no. We'll, we'll read the other ones. He he went to a wedding, and uh, he was just a, a bystander at that wedding. He was just there to enjoy the celebration, just like everybody else. He was invited, and he went. Um, but then all of a sudden, they're like, "Hey, we've run out of drinks, and the party can't go on without." I'm phrasing that really badly. <laughs> without <laughs> this is a Christian youth group. Without um, without more drink. And so um, Mary comes over, his mum, and she's like, Hey, if I have a drink, we need your help. And he wasn't there to do anything. He was just there to enjoy the celebration. But as a result of him being there, that celebration was allowed not only to continue, but to flourish into something so much more beautiful than it initially was. And all the guests said that the new wine that he had brought was so much better than anything else that had been served before he had come, and that's what Jesus does when he comes to a celebration. 
He just lifts it so much higher than anything that it could have been initially. And that's, that's who Jesus is. That's the beauty of Him. That love, that joy, that amazing grace that He brings to anything that He touches lifts it up to so much higher than anything that it could possibly be without Him. Um, and that's what I was thinking while I was at the wedding because I was thinking like, wow, this is such an amazing celebration. Um, but um, I'll read you guys the other side. Um, it's a story that I'm sure you guys know well. Bring out your Bibles because we'll... Did my phone just shut down? Are you serious? Yes, it did. Okay. Don't bring out your Bibles because I don't know where the references are anymore. My phone just shut down. I don't know the reference though. So I can't. Um, okay. This is going to be interesting. Um, Jesus went to a family that he loved. Um, the family of Lazarus. 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 It's a really hard word to pronounce. Um, Lazarus was a brother who had two sisters. And um, they all knew Christ. And he'd gone to their house frequently. And, um, and they loved him. And they served him consistently. And you all know the story. He was out of town, Jesus, and they came to him and they said, Hey, Lazarus is sick. Actually, the exact sentence was, The one whom you love is sick. Like everybody knows what Lazarus means to Christ. The one whom you love is sick. The person you care about a lot, he's in trouble, he's in danger. And Jesus listens to this news and seemingly on the outside he does nothing. He actually stays out of town for another three days, if I'm not mistaken. Don't quote me on that. Look it up. You got it? Okay. Two days? Brilliant. Uh, it's in John 11. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil, wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord... Behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you're going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the dark, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will go well. He will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go, that we may die with him. So, that's how much they all loved Lazarus, not just Christ. Let us go, that we may die with him. Like, something horrible has just happened. So, when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the woman around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she had heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. 
Now Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is to come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling you. So Mary was sitting at home, too grief-stricken to even come out to the funeral. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town. He was outside. But was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with him, uh, with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, they followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Verse 35 is probably the most beautiful verse in the entire Bible to me. Jesus wept. Weeping isn't crying. There's a, I've cried many times in my life, but I think I've wept only once or twice. Weeping is like when your soul is so overwhelmed that there is no possible remedy or relief that can stop your, all of your emotions kind of unbridled coming out of you. That's what weeping is. It's not, I feel sad, so I'm going to cry. It is just the epitome of feeling overwhelmed. That's what weeping is. Um, we get that word again with Peter when he betrayed Jesus and when Jesus looked at him and it says he wept bitterly. He just, the realization of what had just happened fully hit Peter and he wept bitterly. He just, it all came out of him. Um, we often detach kind of Christ as God from these human emotions that we feel. Sadness, pain, hunger, happiness. Just normal things that you and I feel on a day-to-day -day basis. One of his best friends passed away. And when he looked around him and saw the effect that sin had on the world that he created. Death wasn't in the world before sin. Death came after sin. When he saw the destruction that came as a result of sin, it shattered his heart. And his response to that was to weep. God wept. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the creator of the universe standing by the tomb of his friend and just weeping? That picture is just the most incredible thing in my mind. He wept. Jesus wept. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus said, groaning in himself, Come to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? 
Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. This is like the coolest interaction between the father and the son where he's praying and he's like, Lord, I'm only saying this to you so that they will believe. I'm only saying this out loud so that they hear it and that they actually believe. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. At the wedding, Jesus lifted it to a height of joy that it could never have reached because of the actions that he took and his presence there. At a funeral, he brought comfort and joy that could never have been possible had he not been there. There's a verse, um, I'm pretty sure it's in Corinthians, but again, I don't have my references, so look these things up. That says, we do not mourn and we do not weep like the rest of the world weeps. Because we know the Savior. We know the person who death has no power over. We know the person who, when he's told your friend is dead, it doesn't faze him whatsoever. He goes there and he raises him from the dead. There is no power of death when Christ is present. And the sting of it is that pain, that, not, that knowledge that all hope is lost. That doesn't happen when you're with Christ. Yes, there is a sadness at being parted from that person, but it's not that same sadness of the hopelessness of I've lost this person forever because they didn't know Jesus. That doesn't happen when you know Christ. And so he brings a comfort that is impossible without him and that can never be achieved if he isn't there. And if you ever thought that Jesus doesn't feel your pain, read those two words, Jesus wept, and think about that again. Um, actually, I studied this a while back, um, and it's the shortest verse in the Bible. That's what everybody tells you. It's the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. But I thought it was kind of, it was a low note. Like, it's a really sad, it's a, you know, it's a really, it's a heartache kind of verse. Um, but then I looked it up and I did some digging and then there's a verse that says rejoice always and rejoice always is more letters than Jesus wept but rejoice always in the original language is actually shorter than Jesus wept so Jesus wept is actually the second shortest verse the shortest verse is rejoice always it's actually it's the happy one not the not the painful one. Anyway, a little bit of trivia there for you, Bible study. Um, yeah, I think that kind of stuff that's hidden in the Bible is, is absolutely epic. Um, so that was kind of drawing on my little experience from today, which really, it really was, it was amazing. It was very, very perspective bringing because one extreme to the other extreme in a matter of hours is something that's really, really eye-opening. Um, there's a description of Christ and today really all I wanted to talk about was just the beauty of Jesus of, of who he is, of his character of how just lovely and awesome he is um, 
a verse that says, um, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. A reed is that, like, tiny little frail plant that grows out, like, by the river. You kind of see it, like, coming out of the water. And if you've ever held one of those, um, they're like the slightest twist of, you know, your first finger and your thumb will get it to kind of to bend and you can see that it's, it's gone floppy and you've obviously kind of broken it. And it's such a tender plant and the tiniest movement will rip it apart. And it says about Jesus that he would rather see one of those that have been bruised, that have been bent, and he would take the time to actually set it upright and make sure that it gets fixed and it grows again rather than do the easy thing of just throw it away and keep it broken or just when it's bent just finish it off and break it apart completely and a smoking flax is if you've ever seen like one of those incense candle things when they've just about burnt all the way through there's this tiniest hint of red at the bottom of them and you can just see smoke coming out and you know that it's pretty much it's finished it's finished burning other than that tiny red speck, Christ would rather come to that candle and fan it back into flame rather than let it die out. How beautiful is that? How beautiful an illustration of if it's my life or if it's your life and we're so far beyond rescuing. We're broken. We're bruised. We're finished. We've taken too many hits. Or we're just a smoking flax. We're so near the end, we've just, we've almost given up and this kind of, there's no way back. That's it, the candle is burnt out. But when Jesus comes, He blows that back into a roaring flame. And that's who He is. In every interaction, He came to restore what was broken. He came to give hope where there was none. He came to give life. In every interaction, that's who He was. In every word that he said he left everyone around him speechless. Whether it was his critics or the people who were actually listening to him, to learn something from him and to follow him, they just he left them speechless. And there was this one time when Jesus was explaining something um, really difficult um, about his body being bread and his blood being wine, and people naturally were standing around it and saying like. We have no idea what you're saying. This is like gross and weird. Like, why are you talking about? It's pretty, they didn't exactly say that, but that's pretty much how they reacted to what he was saying. And a lot of them walked away because they're like, no, this is just too much for us to take. We don't understand it. We don't want to. It's messed up. We're walking away. And so he turned around and his disciples were standing around him. And he just said to them, are you going to leave as well? And... Their response to him was, Lord, where else are we going to go? You're the only person who has words of eternal life. I think anybody who truly meets Jesus, truly sees who he is, can't ever go back to being without him. It's, it's not possible to just up and leave. You can't. There is so much grace. There is so much beauty in that person when you actually get to know him that not only does it transform you it just it transfixes your gaze um, in Revelation it describes what goes on in heaven 
and or parts of what goes on in heaven. And then it talks about Christ on the throne. And it says that day and night, the angels, when they see him, they just yell, holy, holy, holy. Or they yell majesty or they yell all these beautiful things that are just, you know, to you be all the glory, to you be all the power. If you can think about the angels, they don't have any distractions around them. And all they have to look at is Jesus. And every time they look at Jesus, they have an involuntary reaction of just yelling, holy, 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 or glory, or majesty, or in other words, wow. Have you ever seen something that has actually made you physically go, wow, like you actually said it out loud. You were so overwhelmed with the beauty of that thing that you physically said, wow. When I was in New Zealand, I, I um, took this like two and a half, I don't know, hour trek to climb to the top of this mountain that was like 3,000 meters above sea level. And you guys probably heard this already, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to tell you again anyway, because it's awesome. Now, from the top of this mountain, you have 360 degree view of this kind of this giant lake, these snow capped mountains, these green hills that are kind of below you and um, these paths that are like just winding towards the other side. And you've got the sun kind of beginning to set on the other side. And it was honestly one of the most beautiful things I'd ever seen in my entire life. And as I stood up there, I was alone on top of the mountain and I couldn't help but just say, wow. That was one of those moments where I was just overwhelmed and I said, wow, this is incredible. I've never seen anything like this. That same reaction to such intense beauty is what everyone in heaven has when they look at Christ. Their reaction is, wow. And you don't have to wait until you get there to actually see Him. That's the beauty of it. When you really meet Jesus, and all of you who have will testify to the fact that when you saw Him for the first time, you said, wow. That flood of peace, of joy, of such intense love that touches you the first time you see Jesus is an unforgettable feeling. And the fact that we get to enjoy that day in and day out in fellowship with Him, if we choose, gets us to reply in the same way that the disciples did. Lord, who else has to offer what you have to offer? Nobody else even comes close to giving us what you do, to being with us in the way that you do. Um, I was thinking about... I'll finish up soon. These are all, remember, just scattered thoughts. I was thinking about um, shepherds and sheep because you see this kind of illustration a lot in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. Right? And in church on Sunday morning, one of the older guys stood up and he said this beautiful thing that I'd never thought of. And he said, um, when shepherds take care of sheep, they take care of them because they're valuable to them because they're going to bring them money or food or clothing or shelter or, you know, Whatever, They're, they use the sheep to get something for themselves. And that's why they protect the sheep. So a shepherd, you know, if, um, not, not usually lions, but if wolves or whatever came against the sheep, 
it was the shepherd's job to protect the sheep and to kind of make sure that they were safe and none of them strayed off because that's money lost or that's some value to the shepherd that's lost or to the owner that's lost. But when Jesus came, he flipped that concept completely on its head. He said, I'm the good shepherd. I give my life for the sheep. And like we kind of we've heard that verses at least I have like all the time growing up and like yeah of course that's who Jesus is he gave his life for the sheep and I just think of that as like normal shepherd practice it's not shepherds protect the sheep only as far as you know the economic gain that they get from sheep I'm not gonna give my life up I'm like an infinitely more complicated person with hopes and dreams and aspirations. I'm not going to die for a sheep, okay? That's ridiculous. It's not worth that much, okay? If a lion comes against it and I can't defend against a lion, I'm going to bolt the other way because, hey, I'm not going to give up my life, my precious life, for a sheep. But Jesus comes and says, no, I'm, I'm going to do the exact opposite of that. That sheep is infinitely more valuable to me than anything else in this world. And He comes and He gives His life for every single one of us, the sheep, um, who really who didn't deserve that in any way, shape or form. Jesus, Isaiah says about Him that He never raised His voice in the streets. He never, He was never, like when he, whenever you had an interaction with Him, there was never this feeling of, tension or anxiety or you know he's about to yell or any sort of discomfort um, and just that character is just is so beautiful and it's just something to be emulated in every interaction he had his gentleness was just unbelievable every time you see him deal with a person you're like how how did you how did you do that? How did you come in with that much understanding, with that much just love? You knew exactly what they needed and you just carried them so gently to where they needed to be, whether spiritually, physically, or whatever it happened to be. Now you remember while he's doing all that, in the back of his mind, he knows that he was born for one reason only, to die. There's always this, this, this thing on Facebook, this meme that pops up you know, from time to time of like, you know, if you had the option of knowing when and how you were going to die, would you, would you want to find out, blah, 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 whatever. And it's an interesting question. Then you look at the comments and people are like, yes, because, and no, because. And you think about Christ. He knew exactly when and exactly how he was going to die. Now, if you knew that three years from now, you know, you were going to take a bullet to the head, I think that would drastically alter the way that you lived your life. But you know what? You might reconcile it. You'd say, you know, it's a quick and painless thing and it's going to be over and, you know, I'm going to make the best of it and whatever. For Jesus, that wasn't the case. He knew that the death that he faced was the most horrific in human history ever. Not just because of the physical pain, but because on the cross, Jesus became sin for us. Do you know what that means? It means when God looked at Jesus in that moment, He saw every sin ever committed on Him. He saw Him as that sinner. The murderer, the rapist, that was Jesus on the cross. He was being punished for their actions. The liar, the slanderer, the gossip, 
the thief, when God looked at his son, he saw all of that on his shoulders. And I don't, it's, it's impossible for us to imagine a perfect person having for the first time to experience what it's like to touch the filth of sin. That had never happened before, ever. This is God we're talking about. The most holy, the most pure. In that moment, having to take on the thing that disgusts Him more than anything else. The crucifixion wasn't the, the bad part of what happened to Christ that day. It was bearing our sin. Your sin and mine. The reward that we gave Him for that incredible life of example and generosity and love of, of God was rewarded by us literally tearing Him apart on the cross. I don't really know what the aim of this message is other than just to remember how beautiful the Savior we worship is um, and how worthy of our worship He really is. And what an example to follow because in life and in death, if it's without Jesus, it's meaningless and it's empty. But when Christ is in it, whatever the situation, whether it is the extreme of the joy of a wedding, or the extreme of the sorrow of a funeral. When Christ is in the middle of it, He lifts it up to something so much more beautiful than it could ever be on its own. And that's what He is in each of our lives, when He enters them. He takes all of our plans, all of our messes and burdens and everything that we are, and He transforms it into something so much more infinitely beautiful than it ever could have been on its own had we had our way with our own lives. So this is a reminder. What are you living for? But more importantly, who are you living for? And is it worth it? And is it side by side with Jesus? Because if it isn't, I've seen both extremes today. I have. And I can tell you that in death, without Him, it's not worth it. And it is heart-wrenching without Him. And in life... All the joy in the world will amount to nothing if it isn't with Christ. And it is not lasting unless it's with Christ. So today just take this time. We have time. We're just going to close our eyes while we're in this circle and just pray. Remember who you serve and why you serve Him. This Jesus, do you know Him from a distance? You've heard about Him. Tonight, but have you experienced all these things that we've spoken about really in your life? Have you experienced His touch? Have you experienced that amazing peace when you come face to face with Him and just feel Him smiling at you? Have you felt His love as it's overwhelmed you? And as it's just pushed so far past anything that made you feel guilty that... You felt that amazing freedom of knowing that there is nothing that could keep you from the love that Jesus has for you. That amazing grace. Do you interact with Him once a month, once a week, once a year? Or on a moment by moment basis? Invite Him again. 
to be close to you. Jesus said, learn from me. For my yoke is light, my burden is easy. Do you want to be like him? That the most beautiful, the perfect man whose character is just the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Talk to him. He's listening. Get closer again tonight. Lord Jesus, how beautiful, how lovely, how marvelous and magnificent and majestic you are, Lord. And we run around and we do so many things and we say so many things, Lord. And some of them are for you, Lord. And we just get so caught up in our own lives and even in church activities, Lord. But we miss you in the middle of all of it, Lord. We miss seeing you in the middle of even our worship of you at times, Lord. Lord Jesus, you are so worthy of all that we are and of all of our praise, Lord. We thank you so much that you have taken us from the mire, Lord, and you've set our feet upon the rock, Lord. We thank you so much that we were that bruised reed, that smoking flax, Lord. And you restored our lives, Lord. You restored our souls. We thank you so much for the hope that you give to each of us, Lord. We thank you so much for the plans that you have for our life, Lord. We thank you so much for your presence in our lives, Lord, and how much that elevates our lives to glory, Lord. We thank you so much for who you are, for the amazing, loving, friend, King, Lord, that you are to each of us, Lord. You are so much closer than we imagine you to be. Lord, I just pray that to each of our hearts tonight, Lord. Um, you would be again king. You would be again the first and foremost thing in our lives, Lord. That your beauty would overwhelm us, Lord. That we would remember as we walk through day by day, Lord. That you're holding our hand, Lord. And that that beautiful person that you are gets to interact with us every single day, Lord. Um, just fill our eyes until there's nothing left, Lord. Until all we can exclaim before your presence is just wow, Lord. We thank you so much, Lord Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen.